Welcome to the Men at Work Podcasts, episode number 19. I'm your host, Travis Streb. Today we are talking to Herman Viegas. Herman is the host of the Modern Manhood Podcast and also leads a community looking focused on gender equity in Edmonton. Uh, it's called Next Gen Men. And uh, they have a wolf pack group there. We talked a lot about this group. They're out there having a wide open conversation with men, women, and otherwise about gender equity. And uh, it was such a great conversation. I learned a ton. We talked about this uh, survey, the Alberta Men's Survey, which for those that are Canadian, you know, it's fascinating stuff. I'll link it up in the notes. We talked about the role of community and fueling a conversation around gender equity. And, and Herman had a lot of great insights on why we need to get together, um, you know, beyond gender borders and talk about these issues. We talked about the importance of creating like a brave space, as he calls it, as opposed to a safe space. Uh, we talked about the uh, about the reality of of doing you know gender equity work in a province province of Alberta, which doesn't have a great track record around gender equity, and how Herman and his Next Gen Men group is trying to change that. We talked about the concept of multiple masculinities, which was a new one for me. I had not heard of it. Uh, we talked about the role of gender in the workplace, of course, with this being the Men at Work podcast. It was a really, really free-flowing conversation with myself and Herman. He's such a great guest, and I know you're going to love the episode. So let's jump in. So Herman, man, I'm super stoked to have you on the show, but I do want to jump into your background here, but it just sure. occurred to me that, you know, you're coming at us from Wolfpack Edmonton. I think this is, today's actually your one year anniversary. It is one year anniversary of Wolf of Wolfpack in Edmonton. I'm very, very excited about that. So yeah. we should, we should call that, we'll say that we planned it um, yeah. for the, you know, for the Men at Work <laughs> podcast to be hosting uh, Herman on the, on the Absolutely. one year anniversary. Absolutely. Um, so man, you got you got your fingers in so many different pots there around men's work and modern manhood, and mm -hmm. maybe you know I'd love to hear about the things you're involved in. But how did you get into starting you know Wolfpack and getting involved in men's work in in Edmonton in the first place? I started working for the YMCA as a, as a youth advisor, and I don't know if if your listeners get into social work a lot or have worked in social work or human services industries a lot. I it's 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 a female dominated industry so i was one of the few males um working in that role maybe it's better now um but during that time i was one of the few males that worked with youth uh in the youth advising position so i got a lot of the young males that were um having issues having troubles having things that they were coming up with um and so i did a lot of research as to why that was that was happening and obviously that leads into like the masculinity thing and, and wondering about uh, things like, like gangs and drug addiction and uh, mental health, things like that. And, um, you know, obviously that, that gets you wondering about your own state of masculinity and like gets you wondering about uh, the state of fathers and caregiving and being a good parent and also just being a good mentor and what does your community look like in general? So I got into that 
uh, thinking about it or with youth, but also kind of making it broader. Um, there was a, a very interesting survey that came out uh, just, uh, yeah, I would say three or four years ago called the Alberta Men's Survey. And that's where I got into the role like more seriously. I always thought about like doing something with with young men and it was kind of like this like back idea in the back of my head, but I didn't really get into it until uh, the survey came out and I met some people from Men Edmonton. Came away with a, a good community there and then immediately started the podcast. Uh, that was my own venture. Say, like, you know, I really want to do this. This is really important for me. And through the podcast, I just kind of grew my network uh, of people that were doing a lot of work around masculinity and gender. And uh, I got, I met Jake. And Jake was the, the ED from, uh, from Next Gen Men. And, and he really liked the podcast and was like, you know, we were going to do a podcast, but, you know, like, I really like yours better. And <laughs> like, like, <laughs> can we do something together? And of course, I, I was a big fan of Next Gen Men even uh, when I was doing the, the young men's work there. So to me, it was a natural fit. And, uh, um, and from then on, I, I, I love the Wolfpack model. I love the people that we had at Men Edmonton and we wanted to do something similar. So again, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So we had something already there. And uh, Jake was uh, happy to have it extend over to Edmonton because we already had a really good support system here. Uh, and lo and behold, a year later, we're already into one year of Wolfpack. So, yeah. <laughs> so what is like, I mean, out here in, in, I mean, in Vancouver, we've got, you know, like the dominant men's group out here, mm-hmm. say is um, Samurai Brotherhood, you know, which I've talked about a bit on the show, but what's the, what is the model for Wolfpack? I mean, it, it, I've, I've read a bit about it, but maybe you can just for my listeners benefit, just say a bit more about it and, sure. and what you guys are trying to do out there. Yeah. I mean, like for the most part, I think when people think of Wolfpack, they think of it as a, as a traditional men's group, a very ther- therapeutical men's group uh, where, you know, a bunch of guys will talk and, uh, and, and think about it interpersonally. And Wolfpack is not that. Uh, Wolfpack is a different model. Wolfpack is, we don't like to call it as a men's group. We call it as a community conversation. Um, it's a community conversation about masculinity. It's a community conversation about masculinity and gender. So what happens at Wolfpack is that um, we uh, recruit a bunch of storytellers and uh, they tell us about the, the topic at hand. So for example, some of our topics that we've had, we've dealt with things like body issue. We've dealt with things with... Um, their next ones are coming up with like mentoring boys. And uh, the last one we did was about depression. Um, the first one that we did was about uh, male isolation. And so we started talking about, we, we asked storytellers to come into to Wolfpack and say, you know, tell us your story around that topic. And uh, hopefully this will generate discussion. And the big difference is that because it is a community conversation, then that means everybody's welcome. And, you know, any anybody who's interested in masculinity and gender is welcome to go to Wolfpack and start talking about these issues. Uh, so that means anybody of all genders are welcome at Wolfpack. And uh, and we do, we do get a lot of people from all different genders. Most of them are guys, but at the same time, it's great that I we get to see uh, women and other genders um, involved talking about masculinity and, uh, and what are the what are the flavors of it? So we mentioned right off the top that this is not a therapeutical men's group. This is a is very much a community conversation, and that's the model that we that we embrace. But it's certainly different. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of. I mean, the I I run a men's group here in Vancouver on embodiment. Um, so it's you know a different flavor of men's work, but it's you know it's for it's for men. 
Uh, yeah. you know, we, we don't invite women, women or others to come to it because it's, it's meant to be this model. And I, I'd love to know more about the community piece, especially, you know, the tagline I remember from one of your articles was you're creating a, a brave space, not a safe mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Maybe like talk about that a bit more because this is like this is super different and I'm really interested in knowing how you guys are making a go of it. Yeah, and maybe this is I don't know if this is a controversial com- like co- like topic that I but I want to get into it. Um safe space to me is uh is an overused term in my in my eyes. It's not it's a term that gets bandied about to saying like we're going to create a safe space for you. We're going to we're going to make sure that all opinions are valid and whatnot and and I, I don't, I kind of reject that because I feel like there's some opinions that need to be challenged that need to be criticized that need to be actually like worked through. Um, and also we can't promise a safe space because it's not like, that's not, that's, that's not the model. Like I, I truly believe a safe space is only one of the few reasons for in a few ways it should be used is through a therapeutical model is through that interpersonal lens. If we want to create a therapeutical way of doing, for instance, the men's group, then yeah, we absolutely should create a safe space because there's there's going to be some topics that are triggering. There's going to be some topics that will talk about your trauma. There's going to be some topics that will involve around your own mental health. And at Wolfpack, we do it in like cafes, we do it in bars, we do it in co-working spots. Like it's not, we can't, and we invite everybody. It's a drop-in program. Like it's 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 by donation. So it's not like somebody we can't just like police everybody that comes in there and create some sort of like interview process where people go into Wolfpack. That's not, that's not the situation. We can't do that. So there's no way we can promise a safe space uh, with Wolfpack, but we can say, listen, there's going to be things that are kind of come out with these conversations. There's going to be things that are kind of come out with uh, the storytellers and the topic that might challenge you or that might challenge the way that you think about it. And the whole idea is in regards of a brave space is to be courageous and actually move yourself into that space and move yourself into thinking in a thinking about masculinity and gender in a different way uh or maybe start asking questions that maybe might not have answers or might be too complex or won't have that black and white uh binary thinking it's this is why this is why i call it a brave space and this is why we call it a brave space it's not and this is the, again one of the things that we mentioned right at the, right at the top. This is not therapy, but it is a step in the process. It is a step for you to start thinking about gender, start thinking about masculinity in a way that uh, might be different than what you usually get. So, yeah, that's the reason why I call it a brave space and not a safe space. But I mean, you're drawing you're drawing from a you know we'll call it a, let's say you know gender agnostic audience. You're like I don't care who shows up. Mm-hmm. If you want to come talk about this stuff? It's great. Yeah. What like what does that allow for? I think it allows, it's a step in the process. I think when you say gender agnostic or people who are gender or um, are in the process of thinking about gender in a way that that is affecting them in their daily lives. And that's the whole point of my podcast is to start thinking about masculinity in a way that affects us in a day-to-day uh, way. Uh, the issue is that I we say, first of all, right off the bat, that this is, this is the things that we believe in. And if you don't believe in that, then so sorry, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, like we first say, like, we, we first say like, this is a pro-feminist space. This is the, one of the first things that we say right off the bat. It's a pro-feminist space. This is not a men's group. This is not therapy. Boom, boom, boom. If this is what you came for, sorry, this is not what you're going to get. Um, second of all, I think a lot of the people that come there 
are looking for a community and are looking for a space where they want to say, you know what, I've been thinking about this, but I don't know that there's other people that were thinking about the same thing. You find a lot of times that a lot of the guys are coming in there asking these questions and they're like, oh yeah, you're asking the same questions too. And it's interesting because we don't try to provide answers. We just say, we want you to look to the, like right in front of you, the, the person that's right across from you in the table and say, that's a person I may be able to talk to. Um, and yeah, like, I, like you mentioned, like if somebody comes in in, in this kind of a drop-in scenario, then it's hard. You're going to get different opinions. You're going to get somebody that might not think it in, in a normal way. Our whole process is to try to guide them into saying like, well, start asking questions, start asking questions about this, but do it in a respectful way, do it in a way that really is full of empathy and full of compassion and full of sympathy, but also make sure you stay on the topic of masculinity, stay on the topic of like what we're going to actually talk about. That's the whole reason why we do it. And that's the reason why we say, you know what, we do it once a month. We're not going to check up on you. You're just going to try to be there as part of this process as well, too. So it's it's a lot, obviously, it's a lot less work on our parts. In Men Edmonton, we do have some therapists and counselors and whatnot. But at the same time, uh, knowing that this is not that kind of space allows us to be a little bit more flexible in our programming and a little bit more flexible in what we do and also allows that other the other component of having other genders come in there and say, you know what, this is what I thought. Um, we always, when we have our storytellers, we always make sure that we have a balance of people that are speaking. There's not just going to be all guys. Sometimes it's all guys, which is totally fine, but sometimes there's going to be half and half. There's going to be women there. There's going to be trans people there. There's going to be gay people there because their experiences around masculinity is also just as valid. So yeah. Does that answer your question? I don't know if I answered it. Oh, hundred percent. Like I'm, I'm really fascinated by this because when I first came across it, it, like it's like Wolfpack sounds like a men's group, which is great. Like I love, I love yeah. men's work. I love men's groups. I think it's super beneficial. And then I started digging a little more, which is why I was like, I got to talk to this guy <laughs> because you're, you're trying to bridge a, a gap that I also agree needs bridging, but you're doing it in a, like a really non-traditional way. Yeah. I mean, typically it's like there's, well, certainly with my teacher, you know, he runs a men's group and a women's group and we come together. Mm-hmm. at at a couple times in the year and and so there's 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 chance for that you know perspective sharing if you will yeah um but this is like month to month you're you know you're really digging in and you're helping to bridge the divide because i think we're at a, i also agree with you we're at a time where we can't have these conversations in isolation only it's good to have conversations with men with women with whatever group you feel you identify with mm-hmm. um but then where where do you come together to to heal and it sounds like despite the fact that it's not a, a, um, you know, a therapeutic men's group, there's probably some therapy going on and just having a conversation with somebody with a different perspective. Of course, any type of conversation like that, it feels like it's therapy. But when I say it's like, this is a part of the process, right? Like, I think there's always going to be a step in those directions. If we wanted to create a full end of like gender equity, and I truly mean equity, it means that like, that all genders are served in the way that they feel that they should be served. Um, then we need to start having those conversations. I think the interpersonal part where men's group really are like that therapeutical men's group really work well is because they, they're digging in deep personally inside. Like they're trying, they're, they're finding out their shit. They're, they're, they're digging that crap out and then they're spewing it out and working with that to working with that crap that's on the floor. Um, once that part is done, or you can do this side by side, 
they need to start working out and going into the community and actually like having those conversations with other people. Um, that's the second part, I think, or it might be, I mean, kind of, like I said, it could be side by side. And then there's also that step of like, well, if I'm thinking about this through my community, then I got to start thinking about this through, well, what are the systems that are affecting me? What is my job? What is uh, the policies that are in place in uh, my community? What is the, the, the gender dynamics that are happening at, in my you know, municipal government, for example, or, and then you go bigger, like what are the policies that are made? Um, those are to create like gender, fully gender equity. We start have to start thinking about all those things. It can't just be um, men's group or just people doing going to therapy. It needs to be along these other things. Um, so I worry sometimes that in the masculinity movement that we just concentrate on men's groups. And I think men's groups are fantastic. They are an essential, essential tool. Um, but we just gotta start working on these other things as well. And we need to have the process and the way of doing that. And that's why I love the Wolfpack model because it is bringing in the community to start talking about this. And that's the whole reason also why I do the podcast is because I want not only for people to listen to other uh, people talking about masculinity, but I also wanna be able to um, show people how masculinity affects day-to-day -day life. And it's not just something that it's just out in the ether and just like we can just ignore it. No, this happens every single day. Um, so that's the reason why I wanted to kind of bridge those two things together. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a great bridge. And I mean, you're actually, what I love is you guys are doing it in the community. It's not like, I mean, a, you know, my, my men's group, we tend to meet in a you know, fairly secluded location you know, away from the public eye, you know, we have a, we have a cafe, we, we run our group in, you know, I, I right. put a curtain up because, uh, you know, we, we need some yeah. privacy for these things, but you're doing it right out in the open, which is, it's so counterintuitive and it seems to be working. Yeah. It's interesting. It really is interesting. Cause it's at the start, we really were, were thought we're thinking the same thing that you did, right? Like, we're like, Hey, we need to have this on the side. We, you know, we, we rented out a bar and we're like, we're going to do this in a private room and aside, which we still kind of do sometimes, but it's just more of like, now it's more of like, well, we don't want the noise to like affect what the storytellers are saying. <laughs> That's really what it is now. But sometimes we do it out in a, we take out a full restaurant, like um, a restaurant that we're going to call Cartago. They're being really awesome and generous that they've been saying, you know what, Mondays were closed, come in on Mondays, we're, we can have the whole space for you. And usually we fill out that whole restaurant um, because people are so, I feel like they just want to have that conversation. They need an invitation to do so. And this is something that is easy to do. Like you can drop in and out, whatever topic that you feel like this resonates for you, you can come in and out. Like the most contentious ones that we've had, which are awesome because it just it drives a lot of like, like conversation is like things like dating. Like we talked about, we had one that was about dating and that one is, was a, was a fraught topic because it was in the middle of the, you know, the meet, like we were in the middle of the me too stuff and um, it was a, a good conversation to have, but it was, we packed that, we packed that whole bar because people were just, they wanted to talk about it. They just didn't know how to talk about it, but they needed to talk about it. And that was important, important. So that, I think that's what Wolfpack serves a lot is to, to be able to have that invitation and have those really, really tough conversations and just do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to, to take down, take on like some of the, 
nastiest, you know, most contentious issues and just like hold an open forum conversation about it. It's, it's, it's bold. Um, you know, it's certainly very, very Albertan, um, to, you know, do things your own way. So let me, let me ask you this though. You talked about the Alberta men's survey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that came out about three years ago. Yeah. And I actually came across it through, um, through your podcast, hearing about it for the first time. And I'm wondering, you know, without, and I know you don't have it off the top of your head, but what were some of the things that, that came out of there that really stuck out for you as, as fueling your podcast and fueling next gen men and Wolfpack? Cause that's a, like the Alberta men's survey sounds like a, you know, either the most boring or the most fascinating thing in the world, you know, coming from, <laughs> from uh, outside perspective. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was interesting because I worked on, well, I'm, I'm Latino, right? So I, I was also happy to be involved in the Latino brief of the Alberta men's survey. So I got a chance to look at the, the men who were um, Latino that, that identified as Latino and, uh, and look to see what their versions of masculinity were. The ones, when I was working through the Latino brief specifically, um, and I think this, this was brought upon the whole thing was that uh when we asked, like, what is masculinity to you? A lot of them mentioned about being a provider. A lot of them mentioned about their identity of, of being the breadwinner, of being the one who provides and then who takes care of their family. And those are like <clears throat> super, not even machoistic. They're very like traditional masculinity type of ideal. Um, so, and I always wonder, <clears throat> excuse me, and I always wonder, and I put this on the brief that, Alberta was going through was is was at that time was going through a very much an economic downturn, and so I asked like, what happens when these guys lose their job? What happens to their identity? And obviously, you you noticed that, and there was a report later on that there was a lot of uh, suicides that were happening through that economic downturn. And obviously, as you know, and this is a kind of a worldwide statistic now that a lot of suicides happen with with men, and so you know those two things were or correlated. And you know, when you read those statistics about, oh, there's more male suicides and you're kind of like, yeah, of course. But when you see it in your own city, when you see it in your own community, that really struck a nerve, right? Um, and so that's one of the big things that we that we saw. Uh, one of the other ones that um, that was really interesting and fascinating is that a lot of the men that we surveyed wanted to be part of the actual solution and actually be part of creating a healthy, more um, productive environment for not only guys, but for all gender. They just didn't know how to do it. They didn't know the resources. They didn't know what the things to do. Um, But they wanted to be part of that. And that was really important for me and also to kind of uh, guide and inform the way that Wolfpack works and also guide and inform the way that I do my work is to say, I want to empower you to be the part of that solution, but you need the right, the right support and the right resources to do so. Um, you can't be doing it alone. And also, even if you have a network, you need to know where to go for those networks. So we always mention when, when we do, especially when we do wolf packs or anything like that, it's like, hey, listen, um, in, in Alberta, there's a number you can call, it's 211, which provides you support. Um, even though you know we know therapy and all that um, is expensive, there are some drop-in counseling groups that you can go to. If you need some help, go, go figure out some drop-in counseling. We can help you provide that. Or 
if you really want to be a part of uh, involving with some volunteer groups, here's some volunteer groups that you can volunteer with, and maybe we can help you do that. So that was that was a part that was really interesting to me in regards to the Alberta Men's Survey. Those two main statistics, but there was a bunch of them that were just like really big and uh, important to do, and we're still kind of digging in through those through those things as well. Yeah, it's a, I mean it's a it's a groundbreaking report. Um, I mean from from the perspective of a uh, British Columbian, I've done a lot of work in Alberta, but it strikes me that um, on the surface, it mm-hmm. seems like the whole model of Wolfpack, like the last place for that to be happening would be a place like Alberta, where you've got like this <laughs> staunchly independent province, you know, most men are, you know, on the surface, it's all surface, like yeah, they drive trucks and they can take care of themselves and, you know, they're providing for their family and whatever they're doing. And that's kind of the stereotype, but it yeah, sounds like you've uncovered this common truth. We you know doesn't matter the size of the truck you drive. Like there's, there are some really common themes that, that men share. And um, yeah. so what, like, what's it like doing this work in a place like Alberta with that stereotype kind of staring you in the face? Yeah, it's, you know, it was something that um, we were quite aware of when we started Wolfpack and we were also very much um, thinking of, you know, what happens if, if so-and-so says something or what happens if, I don't know, the Proud Boys, which we've been targeted by the Proud Boys a couple of times. And uh, we were like, well, what happens if they show up? And we're like, I don't know, just invite them in. If they just want to have a conversation about this, we're not going to stop them. Um, if they're not causing any any problems, then why not, right? Like, what's, what's, what's the harm? Um, I am very cognizant of what is going on in Alberta. And you know, our politics very much inform what's going on here too. You know, we're very conservative. We've been conservative for 40 years. Like four years ago is the first time that we voted a more of a progressive government and it was just more of a backlash, Uh, but we're back to a conservative government again. So it's like those things really um, informed the the way that that Albertans think. And yeah, of course. So, you know, as as an Albertan, you know, I, I, these are things I don't personally believe, but I know that there's people that do believe this in, in the way that they think they are a more of an independent province or more of a province that just takes care of themselves that, that, you know, there's the interesting Alberta independence movement. They just want to break away from Canada or anything like that. Um, but when I see, when I talk to, when I talk to guys, especially when they come to Wolfpack or even just outside of Wolfpack, even just the people that I interact with on a day-to-day basis, um, those guys are hurting. And they're not just like, it's it's not just a, a thing about their own sense of identity. It's just like, they're hurting because they lose their jobs. They're hurting because they still want to provide for their family. Um, they be given, unfortunately, they been given uh, a way of doing things that is not working right now. Like the, the way that it used to be in Alberta was that uh, you just keep working hard and the, the bills will come and the pay will come and you just keep working, right? And the hard work will win at all costs. Now those guys are working really hard and nothing's coming to them. So they've been kind of given a lie to live out free and they're upset. Yeah, <laughs> they're upset. yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So that's the that's the situation that they're that they're going through. Um and it's hard to like overcome that because it's just been so quickly that the economy uh kind of turned and we're still dealing through that. 
And it's very telling that a lot of um, men's right activists, for example, or people who are very uh, like oppositional to kind of a pro-feminist masculinity movement, a lot of them come from Alberta. Like, and it's, there's no, that's, that's not a coincidence. That's, <laughs> that is very much so rooted into the, this province. But saying that, look, I personally, I'm knocking on wood, but personally have not faced a whole lot of pushback into what we're doing. I'll, most of it has been positive, And I could say specifically where I live here in Edmonton, it has been embraced. Um, so the more we do it, the more people come out, the more we actually talk about it, the more people are saying, yeah, I agree with you. Um, and that's encouraging to me. And I think like, obviously there's, there's some truth to the stereotype around Alberta, but at the same time, there's some amazing people here that are, are willing to do be part, like I said, be part of the solution, be part of the actual work to make sure that we have uh, an inclusive and connected uh, community. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, right? Because it's, it's almost like it's a, it's like a, 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 or magnification or a transmission of, of what, you know, the default style is for most men, which is like, I can take care of myself, you know, I'll, we'll break away. We can do it. I can, you know, if I just work hard and put my head down, you know, certainly I've, I've been guilty of that on numerous occasions, you know, <laughs> me too, like, me I'll, too, I'll right? figure it out. I'll figure, I don't, yeah. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone to help me out. Absolutely. Um, and, but the, the, I think the, you know, the, unf- you know, obviously, you know, the downturn in Alberta has been devastating. Yeah. I mean, you look at your community in Edmonton in particular, um, you know, so many people have lost their careers and lost their homes and it's like, it's, it's really bad stuff. Yeah. And it, it forces it, I think for men, especially to confront this idea of like, well, if I'm not the provider, like, where does my value come from? Yeah. And I, and you know, where does my, where does my value, and you know, you know, speaking specifically about men um, or those identify, you know, strongly, strongly with the masculine is like, what's my value as a, as a masculine member of society in the workplace and in a relationship if I'm not providing money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I, so the, I think the the gold in this terrible situation is that maybe it helps men to discover that. And I, I hope it does that there's huge value in and huge masculine gifts that we can offer outside of making money. And I, I hope, and I believe that, you know, in Alberta, because you've been forced to deal with this, and I believe every every province will at some point have to reckon with this idea of masculinity, that you're doing it on, you know, you're doing it in a, in a tough time, but you're going to learn a lot and you're going to learn a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's the, that's the cause of that. And I think like, I think we're doing a disservice as well when we don't talk about things like, like multiple masculinities or, or a situation where we say, um, there's many, there's many ways to be a man. And there's, a, in fact, the full spectrum to be a, of how to be a man. And we don't need to actually start labeling of how to be a, a quote unquote real man. Um, and I think specifically with somebody who's going through an identity crisis as, as being able to not be able to provide for your family. I think learning about multiple masculinities would do such a big, big favor to them. Um, and it's interesting that we don't, I mean, I feel like some people do, but it's not something that has been portrayed out into the general zeitgeist as much as say like toxic masculinity or say, or other buzzwords. Um, because I feel like the way that we talk 
about other guys sometimes is a detriment. Um, especially when we say like, well, there's, there's this specific guy who's doing some toxic stuff. And then we just call him, I don't know, a, just a, a terrible word or misogynist or whatever it is when we can say, well, well, this guy's right here. Well, he is the real man because he, you know, takes care of women or whatever. Um, I don't, I think we start, we really need to start working on, on talking about multiple masculinities. It's been something that's been out in the academic circle since the eighties. Like I, ever since every, all the research that I have, that I have looked at of all the different types of papers and all different types of um, academic doctors that have talked about, have talked about multiple masculinities, but it's, it's surprising to me that it's not out there. And one of the main things of, of the things that I do with my podcast is to try to say multiple masculinities as much as I can, um, because I think it's something that's going to free us. It's something that's going to free us of this foothold that we always need to like this, this ladder of masculinity that we have to keep climbing, keep climbing and keep, keep, keep getting kicked out of, uh, when we can just start our own ladder or we can just start somewhere else. We don't have to have climb anything. We just, you just need to be, um, and you know, and I always say like, if you, as long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting somebody else, like what's, what more can you say about being a man? Like it, you're just being an awesome person. And, and I, 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 I don't get why we don't say that more often. And I think specifically in Alberta, specifically for people that are suffering through uh, e- economic problems, which is, it's hard. It's, it's totally hard. Like, unfortunately, we live in a very capitalist society that we have to think about money. Uh, I wish we didn't, but it, that's the reality. So we, we have to learn how to, how to actually embrace being infinite ways of being a man you know well and and you know is that the essence of multiple masculinity i mean i i have not read much about it and i i don't imagine that my my listeners have i mean i know it's on your on your podcast but maybe you could say a little bit about sure what what that's really about because i I think you're hitting on a pretty darn important topic area here yeah for sure and this is something that was like when i say the 80s and 90s this was uh done by a researcher named raywin connell who's a who's a trans woman, um, and she uh, did a, a huge study and research and wrote it on this book called Masculinities in General. Um, and she wrote about how different many men, their, their, their portrayal of masculinities are in different ways. And to be honest, it totally makes sense. Like when you start thinking about it, it totally makes sense because in, I would say in Canada, the US or Western masculinity, there are specific rules to being a man um, or being a traditional man or being this, this, the dominant form of being a man. Uh, the typical example I use is the one that I use in regards to dancing. So for example, when you're in the U S and Canada, dancing is considered mainly not masculine. Maybe it's something that obviously a lot of guys still do it, but it's not considered the most masculine thing in the world. If I go to South America, if I go to Chile, where I'm from, dancing is considered very masculine. Dancing is considered something that is uh, essential to your manhood. And if you don't know how to dance properly with a woman, you're considered less of a man. Now, that in a nutshell is multiple masculinities because there's masculinities up in the US and Canada and there's masculinities up in, in Chile, where I'm from. You can go to India 
and there's men that are holding their pinkies together and that's considered masculine. You can go to Asia and when you're considered more demure, when you can go to Spain, we have to be more brash. Those are all different types of masculinities. And those are all in the dominant phases of in that region of how to be a man. So we can't just say there's only one way to be a man. That's an impossibility. So once we start working to say like, well, there's many ways to be a guy. And not only that, they're all valid. And not only that, if we start embracing what manhood actually looks like, which is a very, very complex and fluid way of, of being a person, then we start embracing more of our own selves. Um, so, I mean, that's going to break a lot of like, like it's a, it's a big Pandora's box because that kind of breaks away a lot of different policies. And then we, what do we talk about in regards to trans uh, being, being a trans man. And I feel like a lot of those genders are valid and, and they have their worth and they have the way of being. So it's like, once we start breaking that apart, then we can start working on as being what a, how am I as a person? How am I as a, as a good person that's maybe just going to support them. Maybe I do want to support my family. Maybe I do want to drive a truck and who cares? Like maybe I want to drive a, a Prius and that's still a man. Like I don't, it doesn't matter. Right. As long as you're not hurting somebody else, as long as you're not hurting your other, why is, do we need to judge each other as a man? And there's been many different um, academic researches around this too. Like there's, um, there's a theory called the precarious masculinity theory, which was done and over by in actually, I think it was, I think it was UBC who actually did this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I could be wrong. But at the same time, it just basically says that masculinity is always in this precarious state that people can, we're always trying to like, like I said, climb up the ladder of masculinity and someone's always trying to kick you down. Um, so boys are always like specifically boys are always in this precarious state. Um, CJ Jacobs did this amazing book called Dude, You're a Fag which is talks about homophobia in regards to uh, dominant forms of masculinity. So she also talks about multiple masculinities. There is a professor called Dr. Joseph Gelfer. She, he talks about the five stages of masculinity and the fourth stage is multiple masculinities. And to talk about masculinities in as a spectrum. And he always talks about masculinity being this complex figure. So again, it's out there. It just needs to be unearthed. And I think once it's unearthed, it's going to unlock so many things, so many things. And that's why I'm, I keep banging on people. Every time I'm on a show, every time I'm on a podcast, I'm just like, start talking about multiple masculinity. Start talking about multiple masculinity. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be so much better for everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, uh, you're lightening me here, Herman, in a big way. Like I, I've heard about this, talked about it at a cursory level. Um, you know, relatively certain most of my listeners have not talked about this. Um, and I, I, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you let me off the hook because I, I don't like driving. Um, and I happen to own a Prius. So, <laughs> man, <laughs> I'm glad I can still be a dude. Of course. Uh, of that's course. Good, good to know. But it, it, you know, I wonder though, is if as we bring this out and we get, uh, we get men in particular used to this idea and I, I you know it, it, I can see that it might help men feel like they can be okay with themselves, which is going to help us be more tolerant of other people. I think that's mm -hmm. like the big edge right now I'm seeing is we're not okay with, with who we are because we're not 
at where we want to be on the ladder of masculinity. Absolutely. And so then we definitely can't be okay with anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the big E word, right? Like empathy, right? That's the, the empathy is, uh, empathy is something that, that I try to show the boys that I work with or the people or the men that are in my life as best as I can. And to be honest, I work on empathy too. Like I'm not, sometimes in some cases, I'm not the most empathetic man. And I have to catch myself and being like, I gotta, I gotta start working on that. So it's a process. It's a skill. I always call it a skill. I, I say it's, it's something that you have to work on every single day, like going to the gym, like you work on it with small weights. And then you keep going to the big weights, work on empathy in small ways. You see something online, you, maybe you see a stranger on the street. They, they look like they're wearing a, a silly hat and all of a sudden you're like, hmm, maybe it's fine. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's empathy, right? Um, but that's not going to affect that guy or you, but it's, it's still, it's still a weight that you're, that you're, that you're pulling up. Um, so empathy to me is, is also one of the major keys to figure out what it is uh, in regards to gender equity. And, and especially in regards to when we talk about, when we talk about things like Wolfpack, um, I mentioned that what we're doing is we're practicing empathy and we're practicing our empathetic skills here. Uh, when we talk about their storytellers, there might be something the storyteller says that you're like, mm, are you sure you did the right thing there? But listen, you got to practice empathy skills. Um, Cause empathy is not just like, is not just putting yourself in another person's shoes. It's also, there's a second part and you know, Brandy Brown is, is a, is a magician in regards to this. And she talks about it too. Um, she mentions that the second part is actually pulling away your judgment from that as well. Putting yourself in another person's shoes, but then taking all that judgment that you have already inside and then just putting it to the side and actually just listening and actually just being aware. Um, and I think that's like when, when people do men's groups, for example, and when, do, when they do interpersonal, these interpersonal skills of men's group, I think empathy is really they empathy gets done very well in those groups because they listen to other people's stories they listen to they're like wow i can really relate maybe if you don't relate you can actually try to very much sympathize of what that feeling might be um so that's a big like you're learning a lot of skills with empathy uh because when we talk about multiple masculinities it is to do with empathy it is a lot to do with uh if you see somebody else that that looks like they quote unquote might not fit the 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 role of a guy then you got to have empathy to say like, well, that person is just doing them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And that's, that's an empathetic skill. That's an, that's, that's a piece of empathy that you're throwing out into the world. So, yeah. And I mean, it seems so like buzzwordy. It seems so like rudimentary and it's, but it's, but it's the truth, right? It's, 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 that's something that we can't just like, we need to start talking about empathy a little bit more. And we actually not need to like learn how to do that skill properly. You know what I mean? I do. And I, I think it extends, um, maybe not extends. I think it starts with, especially for men with the, the internal side of it, which is, you mm -hmm. know, to empathize mm -hmm. with our own, uh, feminine side, you know, with the yeah. part of us that is going to have emotion with the part of us that's, you know, going to get to screw things up. Like the, like all the, you know, all, all that side is to be okay with it, to notice like, Oh man, like I'm, really like feeling sad today like yeah. oh well men you know men don't get sad so mm -hmm. make turn it into anger and you'll be a man <laughs> like yeah and i and sometimes and to be honest and i i personally don't like when it's like 
and I and there's no no judgment on you, Tyler. But I don't I don't like when it's called like the feminine thing. It's just another way to be a man, right? It's just like when you're reaching into your own emotions. I, I don't I don't want to label that as like a masculine or feminine thing because then that we start putting labels into what is dominant and what is dominant masculine or what is dominant feminine. We just say I I want to just call it just like we're just digging into our feelings. And that's every person has their feelings and every person has their way of, of, of doing that specific skill. Um, I, I personally, uh, it's hard for me to like, and I know it's a very like, like Jungian way of, of saying these things, like the very, like the, like the archetypes of being a masculine and feminine, which is, if, it's interesting in that concept, but it to me it doesn't work in the, in the terms of, a, of of either preaching multiple masculinities in the sense of that uh, most guys. So there's a lot of guys that dig into their feelings. Man, there in the 2000s, I grew up in the 2000s, and when I was in my 20s, and there was a whole like emo rock movement, right? Like, and that was just a rock movement digging into your feelings, right? So it's like, <laughs> and those guys were, you know just as masculine as everybody else, but they were really digging into their feelings. So, and that's something that we can really embrace and we really say like, yeah, that, that's also masculine too. And I, that's, that's the only thing I kind of like push back upon. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you, I mean, push away, man. I mean, I, the, you know, the, the way, the way I look at the world is going to be different than you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm also like already, you know, blown away and inspired by the idea that you bring you know, people of multiple genders together to have these conversations that I, you know, until our conversation was like, yeah, kind of feels like that could be a conversation just for men, or it could be a conversation just for women or for trans people or whoever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I I think it is, you know, it's, it's a certain flavor. Yeah. And it is, it's part of the process, right? It's part of the step, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested, like you guys, I forget if you did it already or if you're having a panel uh, or a, um, I don't, you don't call them panels. I know that if you're having an event, you, you were talking about one about gender in the workplace. Yes. It's coming up soon. Actually. That's the one we're doing next week. So it's on the 29th. We're doing it. Um, very excited about it just because it's interesting to see men who are working in uh, female dominated spaces and vice versa, uh, women who are working in "quote unquote" male-dominated spaces. So we we invited uh, three people. Well, we invited four people actually. Well, well, one of them may may or may not come. Um, two men and two women who are working in like not not in their "quote unquote" um, gendered space. So it's interesting to me to find like I, there was an interesting video. Um, just recently that I shared within my group was about uh, an Asian man in Thailand, I was going to say. Anyways, he's an elementary school teacher. Um, And it's interesting that the people there were not, they were a little bit weirded out that there was this uh, young male elementary school teacher that was, and to be an element, you know, I, I, my background's in education, in education. So um, I wasn't an elementary school teacher. I was mostly junior high and high school. Um, but to be in an elementary school teacher, you are basically like their other caregiver. You are helping them not only to read, write, and arithmetic, but also you're helping them to like be their extra father or mother or whoever it is. <clears throat> so it's like for for the families, it was a little bit weirded out for them. Um, 
and it's a tough job to do sometimes, just as much as it is for uh, a woman to work in the trades industry, because there is that still that that stigma of, uh, you know, are they going to be able to lift this, or I'll be able to, are they able to be able to do this job right, or this is not your place because we can't really joke around these things, blah blah blah. So it's I we really want to stretch those things out and dig into deep to see how gender affects the workplace and how gender in general affects the way that we uh, assign certain roles in society as well. So that to me is is an important conversation to have. And it's also, again, we're talking about the system. We're talking about the systems at play. We're talking about not just our, our interpersonal beliefs, but also like how is society shaping the way that we see gender and how is society shaped the way that we see work? Because um, I think that's also quite important. I work in a kind of a female dominated space, like I mentioned before. Um, so I get to see it sometimes too. I get to see it in the way that people are hired. So I get to see some sometimes in the way that people um, see me, but at the same time, there's pros and cons, right? So I, I was very lucky that my, you know, my boss and the people that hired me saw me as a person that um, was like, Hey, there's a lot of, there's a lot of young men that are, are suffering just as well. We need to have a man to be able to help to relate to them. Well, I, I think especially in, um, you know, in Alberta, I mean, you have a, you have a lot of tradespeople, mm-hmm. so you have lots of like tons and tons of room. Like if you don't have women in the workforce in, in trades, you're at a significant disadvantage. Absolutely. And it's, it's also like, it's the dominant, it's our dominant culture. I mean, you talked about the fact that capitalism is, you know, is, is, is our, our, you know, it's our way of being. And so that means that work is is one of the most, if not the most important thing for most people. And so if we're looking at, as you say, if your your vision is for equity, mm-hmm. then it's probably, you know, work is the battleground. Like we talked Absolutely. about pay would be, um, you know, and it's interesting. I, I'm, and I'm really keen to see how your conversation goes too. Like in Alberta, especially like there is, you guys are, your track record is not amazing as far as pay equity and, and in nope. particular around women in leadership um, nope. on, on board representation and senior, senior roles in companies, like kind of the, the worst in the country as far yep. as I can tell. Yep. Um, so it will be like, it will be interesting yeah. um, to see what comes out of that conversation. Yeah, it really will be. Uh, so who do you have coming? Like who who are who are you headlining as as your speakers? If do you have that in front of you? If you don't, no sweat. Oh, I don't have that in front of me. I know, like I said, I know that there's there's two women and two men that are 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 storytellers. Um, we try not to have like our people are are like uh, being put so much on a pedestal. We just I, we we want to make sure that they're treated all in the same um, in the same way. Uh, Saying that though, I know that there's uh, there's a woman that's worked in trades before. There's another woman that's worked a lot with with other guys. I don't know exactly what she did. I know we have also uh, a male. Uh, we wanted to get a male nurse. That's what we're waiting for because that would be so fascinating. Um, and also we have a male teacher uh, that's worked with younger 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 people. Um, so that's going to be an interesting conversation. And you're totally right. You're totally right. Alberta does not have the best track record at all in regards to this. Um, and I think it is, 
definitely important. And you're right. The battleground is going to be in work because when we talk about gender equity and I, and I related this to, to the start there, when we talk about it interpersonally, when we got to talk about a community, like as a community, then we're going to start talking about policies and in regards to diversity and inclusion. Um, it's funny because I just had a conversation at work about diversity and inclusion and it is on people's radars and it is on people's minds. Um, you know, I was listening to some of your podcasts and you had uh, one of my old, an old guest of mine too, Eric Arthur, and he talked about yeah. uh, uh, his, his uh, idea around uh, men in the workforce and how um, that could be a little bit more, again, talk about multiple masculinities. How, how can men can actually go into these so-called pink color jobs as well um, to be able to remove that economic anxiety that they have. Um, and to say that there's like, there are jobs in Alberta. They're just sometimes not in trades or in oil, but there are jobs. So how do we get guys to actually be in those roles? It's because that's important too. So money, money can be separated from their, in regards to how gender is played. But Alberta does have a lot of work to do. You're totally, totally right. And I think we're slowly moving the needle. But again, we're lacking behind from everybody else. And I really do think it's because we've been coddled. We, we've, been, we've been lucky. We've been really been lucky. As a province, we've been lucky. I personally have not been lucky. In the, as, as a person in the human services industry <laughs> and works in the public sector, I have not been lucky in these last 40 years. But... I'm not saying that those things are not important as well to, to help out of the other guys as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, a move in the right direction, but we need to get there better. We need to get there faster. And I hope and, and it'll get there eventually. <laughs> it will. It will. And I think that one of the most promising things I see, um, you know, I've not dug into the demographics a ton, but I mean, Alberta is a place where you have just a massive amount of young, talented people. Yep. Um, and not that youth is always the answer, but it, it, there's there's some fresh thinking going on. I mean, even just, you know, Wolfpack in itself is fresh thinking. I do not know of a group, obviously, I know you guys are in Toronto as well, but I don't know of a group outside um, of Wolfpack that's doing the kind of thing you're doing and having the, like the edgy conversations as a, you know, as an inclusive conversation. So there's lots going, but I, I'd love to get your perspective. And I, I know I ask a lot of my guests this, but it's a, it's a big one for me, like, how much of this equity puzzle do you think gets solved just with time, given the, the, you know, the values that younger people tend to hold around diversity, inclusion, and equity? That's a good question. I think, so I'm lucky that I get to work with youth a lot. And that's part of my role uh, is my nine to five, which I love doing. I'm 38 years old I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not a youth anymore but I love talking to youth because they have such uh amazing ideas and one of my one of my big projects lately actually has been to try to create kind of a uh, more of a social innovation front in regards to with youth uh and bring out youth-led solutions um, because I think we can learn a lot from them they're ready to roll like like um GSA's the Gay Straight Alliances has been a contentious topic in Alberta um, and if your listeners are not aware of this, it's, it's kind of like basically having the right to have a specific club that includes uh, gay, um, LGBTQ youth and also um, straight, like heterosexual youth and come together and kind of just create a, an honoring space for them in schools. 
it's a weird contentious political issue in Alberta. Um, the youth have decided this already. The youth already don't, they, they, they don't care about the politics anymore. They're already <laughs> there. They're, they're just like, I don't know why we're arguing about this. I think we, everybody thinks that GSAs are important. The adults are just arguing between themselves. Um, yeah, it might move forward, but at the same time, and I feel this way with any youth, like they're, the brain science shows that their brain capacity is not ready until they're 25 years old. Um, their complex think thinking skills are not there yet. They still need support. They still need help. Just like any ally, and, I'm, and I feel myself as a youth ally, we really need to help and support them and get them along the ways. Because there's still this kind of stig stigma around youth and how they get treated and how they, they believe that, that adults don't listen to them. Um, like, you know, for example, like bullying is a big thing in schools, right? It's still yeah. a big, it's still something that happens. Um, and we keep saying to youth, like, you know, you got to talk to, tell your teachers if you're being bullied, like, and so on and so forth. Um, they don't do that. There's a reason why. It's because they don't trust adults. They don't trust adults to do the right thing. They've seen it. They, they know that when uh, they say that they're being bullied, that sometimes they don't believe them. Sometimes they're saying it, they're doing it for attention. Or sometimes they say it because um, there's a weird political thing in the end of it, or a parent is saying something else. They know that. They're not stupid. Of course, they're not going to tell a, uh, an adult because they don't believe them. So what do I say to adults? I say, make sure that you trust, you give them the trust to say that they, they can trust you. So when they do, uh, when they are bullied, that they can trust that you're going to do the right thing, that you're going to be on their back and you're going to be right there with them. So as adults and as allies to youth, we need to be the ones to support them. We need to be the ones to say, you know what, your idea is fantastic. We need to stretch this out and make this a reality for you. Um, it's the same thing with climate change. It's the same thing with equality. It's the same thing with all these things that youth already have decided that this is important. And this is broad spectrum, like globally, that that youth are already saying we need to help them. And that's and I think that's the idea of an ally. And that's the idea of like any type of ally. And it could be an LGBTQ ally or it could be um, a gender equity ally. We need to support those people. We need to actually pull them up and put them on um, <clears throat> a higher standing and help them get through the door not only not only for them to beat the odds, but we need to change the odds for them too. So, and I think that's really, really important. And yeah, that's, it might be with time, but we still need to do the work in regards to that. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, so far no one has said, yeah, time will, time will solve this whole thing. Yeah. The, the, the momentum, <laughs> the momentum of our, of our past behaviors and, and the political system and the um, economic system are pretty darn heavy for us to just rely on people to, Oh, the youth, uh, will, it'll go away. They'll, they'll figure it out. <laughs> they'll solve this problem. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's inspiring to know that, um, you know, you, next gen man you know modern man have your with your podcast all your writing you're doing at the ferdinand as well that you are fueling a different conversation um and that you're doing something in a in a different way in true alberta spirit right i, I think it, you know taking the idea of of gender equity and really putting it out there and airing it out airing out the dirty laundry um to you know let the let the sunshine take care of it yeah so um I think 
like I'm I'm walking away from this conversation having learned a lot from you and really grateful. I'm just wondering also like for my for my uh, listeners how can they find out more about what you're doing about your events about your podcast like where do they go to find you Herman? Sure. I mean, you can find Modern Manhood at most any type of podcast system that you go on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, whatever. Just look for Modern Manhood um or you can go to the website modernmanhood.org. Um yeah, and Next Gen Man is at nextgenman.ca. We have Facebook groups and our Twitter and Instagram is at Modern Man Pod. Uh, but yeah, and then feel free to reach out. Like I, I, I will take as many. I usually read all the emails that I get, and I get a lot of questions from a lot of guys, which is it's, it's truly fantastic. Um, they feel they can trust me through the airways, which is which is cool. Um, at the same time, though, like I. I'm readily available. If you're in Edmonton, just like hit me up and uh, we'll go, we'll go have a drink and, and hash this out. And uh, I, I really, I, I love doing this work because it's, it's important in regards to our community. And that's also important. If even just like selfishly, it's important for me too. you know what I mean? It's important that, that I um, get involved, not only through, the, the guys that are with me, but all the people that are with me too, right? And um, and that includes people who are young and people who are old and people from all different genders. And uh, I think that's the the best way that we can create a more inclusive and a, and a better connected community is that that we all do this together um, and just, and do it locally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just do it locally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to, to, yeah, not try to start a global men's movement, but maybe work on Edmonton first and, um, yeah. and see where it goes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing. I will, I'll make sure I link up everything, um, all your info in, in the show notes for today. It'll be on my site. Um, and I'll try to get this up in time for, uh, your event on the 29th. Even if you don't like it's monthly every month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Okay. So, um, yeah, well, thank you. I will, we'll sign off here, Herman. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the men at work podcast. And, thank um, you, I'm looking forward to connecting with you, hopefully in person when they let me back in Alberta. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> Come to Edmonton. All right. That's it for episode number 19 with Herman Viegas. That was a, such a great chat with him. Uh, such a good guy doing some really cutting edge work around gender equity in Edmonton with his podcast, Modern Manhood, with Next Gen Men, The Wolfpack, um, and even in his work in his 9 to 5. I mean, this this guy is 100% committed to gender equity. So if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, send me your feedback. You can do that through my website, travisstreb.com. You can send me some love on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever else you're listening to this podcast. And stay tuned. We've got episode 20 coming at you next week. Thank you.